Good morning. Welcome to Zion Lutheran Church on this eighth Sunday after Pentecost. Uh, before we begin our worship, first, just a big thank you to all who were able to help with the meal following Nancy's funeral. I know it was much appreciated, so thank you for your time and service there. Uh, also, a reminder that your newsletters for August will be in your mailboxes out here, so make sure you grab them on your way out if you haven't. There are other announcements or other prayer requests you have for the congregation this morning. Yeah. If we can keep the family of Kent Williams in our prayers, his daughter passed away. Okay, family of Kent Williams. All right, if there's nothing else, I'll invite you to take a moment to quiet your hearts and quiet your minds as we listen to the prelude and prepare to worship. Congregation, I invite you to stand. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Almighty God, to whom all hearts are open, all desires known, and from whom no secrets are hid, cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit, that we may perfectly love you and worthily magnify your holy name, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. Now let us confess our sin in the presence of God and of one another. Most merciful God, we confess that we are captive to sin and we cannot free ourselves. We have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed, by all we have done and by all we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved 
in the mercy of Almighty God, Jesus Christ was given to die for you. And for his sake, God forgives you all your sins. To those who believe in Jesus Christ, he gives the power to become the children of God and bestows on them the Holy Spirit. Amen. of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. And also with you. In peace, let us pray to the Lord. For the peace from above and for our salvation, let us pray to the Lord. For the peace of the whole world, for the well-being of the Church of God, and for the unity of all, let us pray to the Lord. For this holy house, and for all who offer here their worship and praise, let us pray to the Lord. Help, save, comfort, and defend us, gracious Lord. Glory to God in the highest, and peace to God's people on earth.
Let us pray. Benevolent God, you are the source, the guide, and the goal of our lives. Teach us to love what is worth loving, to reject what is offensive to you, and to treasure what is precious in your sight. Through Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. Amen. Amen. A reading from Ecclesiastes. Vanity of vanities, says the teacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. I, the teacher, when king over Israel and Jerusalem, applied my mind to seek and to search out by wisdom all that is done under heaven. It is an unhappy business that God has given to human beings to be busy with. I saw all the deeds that are done under the sun and see all is vanity and a chasing after wind. I hated all my toil in which I had toiled under the sun, seeing that I must leave it to those who come after me. And who knows whether they will be wise or foolish? Yet they will be master of all for which I toiled and use my wisdom under the sun. This is also vanity. So I turned and gave my heart up to despair concerning all the toil of my labors under the sun because someone who has toiled with wisdom and knowledge and skill must leave all to be enjoyed by another who did not toil for it. This is also vanity and a great evil. What do mortals get from all the toil and strain with which they toil under the sun? For all their days are full of pain and their work is a vexation. Even at night their minds do not rest. This is also vanity. The word of the Lord. Our psalm for today is Psalm 49, verses 1 through 12. Hear this, all you peoples. Give ear, all you who dwell in the world. You My mouth shall speak of wisdom, and my heart shall meditate on understanding. I will incline my ear to a proverb, and set forth my riddle upon the heart. Why should I be afraid in evil days, when the wickedness of those at my heels surrounds me? The wickedness of those who trust in their own prowess, and woes to their great riches. One can never redeem another, or give to God the ransom for another's life. In order to live forever and ever, and never see the grave. For we see the wise die also, like the dog who secretly perish, and leave their wealth to those who come after them. Their graves shall be their homes forever, their dwelling places from generation to generation, though they had named lands after themselves. A reading from Colossians. So, if you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth, for you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ and God. When Christ, who is your life, is revealed, then you will also be revealed with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever in you is earthly, fornication, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming on those who are disobedient. These are the ways you also once followed when you were living that life. But now you must get rid of all such things, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive language from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, 
seeing that you have stripped off the old self with its practices and have clothed yourself with the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge according to the image of its creator. In that renewal, there is no longer Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave and free, but Christ is all and in all. The word of the Lord. Gospel according to St. Luke. Someone in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. But he said to him, Friend, who set me to be a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, Take care, be on your guard against all kinds of greed, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. Then he told them a parable. The land of a rich man produced abundantly. And he thought to himself, what should I do? For I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life is being demanded of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So it is with those who store up treasures for themselves, but are not rich toward God. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise you, Lord Christ. I invite you to be seated. Children, I invite you forward. All right, I have with me an arrow. All right, you can tell that's an arrow. I drew it, so it's not perfect. It's an arrow. Um, we hear a lot, I think, in church of this word sin, and I think sometimes we hear the word sin and we simply just think, well, that's bad stuff, bad things. And yeah, that's right. However, I think our Bible readings for today show us a little bit different of a way maybe we can think about what sin is. And so first, I'm going to start with this arrow. Where's this arrow pointed pointed up, right, to the sky, to the ceiling, right? And so when we're created, God creates our hearts. He creates us to really give our attention to him, to make him our hope, to make him our source of goodness, to realize that God gives us all good gifts. Everything good in our life flows from God. And so our hearts are created really to look up to God and to trust him. However, sin makes our hearts something like this. So my arrow gets curved, and now where's my arrow pointed? It's pointed back to me, right? Or if I do it up to you all, it's pointed back to you. It curves back this way. It's pointing at me, right? Ultimately, that's what sin is in all of our lives. It's when our hearts go from being directed to God to being directed all about me, all about myself. Right, so all of our Bible stories, I think, today tell this idea of people who have lived their lives building up things for themselves. They've gotten rich all for themselves. They think life is all about them. It's all about them being rich and famous and powerful. All things in life about them. 
But then they come to the end of their life and they realize it's really not about that. That life is really about receiving good things from God and it's learning to trust God. Right? Their hearts had become curved in on themselves. They thought life was all about themselves. Well, it's true for us as well. When our lives are lived only for us and we think that we're the source of all good things, we think that everything should be about us, that's when our hearts really get trapped in what we call sin. And so God wants our hearts to be free to receive from him and to trust in him. Right? And that's what our, our Bible stories today are reminding us, that God's the source of all good things. Let us trust in him and not in ourselves. All right, let, let's pray. Lord, teach us to trust in you for all things. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. There's a great Latin theological phrase and I know I'm, I'm going to lose you already by talking about Latin theological phrases here. Uh, but the phrase is incurvatus se. It's a phrase that Martin Luther liked to use especially. Incurvatus se. And incurvatus se means curved inward on one's self. It's speaking of what happens to our hearts when they are caught in sin. Rather than our hearts being directed to love God and to love our neighbors, as they were created to do. Our hearts corrupted by sin exalt themselves. In our sinful nature, we love to break that first commandment, that first commandment that says we are to have no other gods. It says that we are to fear, love, and trust God above all things. We, however, in our sinfulness are always tempted to love ourselves above all things. We love those things which we believe exalt us in this life. We are idolaters, but our first and biggest idol is always us. We love that unholy trinity of me, myself, and I. The parable Jesus tells in our gospel is an illustration of this. A man comes to Jesus from out of the crowd and wants Jesus to judge a dispute about an inheritance he has with his brother. Now this man probably thinks he's being clever. He probably thinks that Jesus will condemn the brother for being greedy and not sharing. Jesus, however, turns it around and challenges the man to examine his own heart. Of course, the Gospels tell us that Jesus knew the thoughts of the hearts of those around him. He knew what this man was really thinking. And he knew what this man was thinking wasn't really about fairness or justice. This man was thinking with his own greed, his own selfishness. And so our parable here sometimes gets taken as a blanket condemnation of money or wealth, but that's not it. Jesus is not saying that all rich people, all people who have a big savings account are bad. That's a little too easy. We see that Jesus throughout the Gospels is able to welcome those with money just as he does with those who have nothing. What Jesus wants us to recognize, however, is that all of us, rich, poor, whatever state we're in, that our hearts have a sin problem. Just as the man who came to, judge this, came to Jesus to judge the dispute about inheritance really has a heart problem here because he wants more and more, 
our hearts also try to use the things of this world to build us up in our own idolatry of ourselves. Our hearts can be greedy. They can be selfish. And this is what we see in the parable of the rich fool in Luke 12. Notice how the rich man acts throughout this parable. The rich man speaks to himself. He uses his abundance to build more and more for himself. And then the man becomes a kind of preacher to himself. In fact, we're told that he speaks to his own soul. And that's an interesting detail, right? Because what should speak to our soul? Well, it's God's word that should speak to our soul. The law of the word of God should convict our soul and the gospel of the word should comfort our soul. But where we get in trouble is when we try to comfort our souls with our own thoughts and our own reasonings. And that's what the rich man does. He does not use God's word to speak to his soul. He uses his very own covetous, sinful heart. And so he tells his soul, relax, eat, drink, be merry. In other words, he is telling his soul, you are safe. You have nothing to worry about. Live it up. He's placing his hope not in God, but he's placing hope in what he has stored up for himself in the barns that get bigger and bigger. And some people get confused by this parable because they don't exactly see the problem with the rich man's business plan. He stores up and he saves. Right? That's what any wise steward, any wise business person would do. That's what many of us strive to do. We try to put money into our 401ks and our savings account. We understand that to be wise. However, we first and foremost must always check our hearts. Right? We must be reminded of ourselves that that fully funded 401k is not our savior. The savings account that we hold on to should never be our real source of hope. And if it is, then we're deluding ourselves with a kind of false god. And so the rich fool in this story has become kind of his own god. He has made himself his own comfort. He has made himself his own security in this world and how he loves himself. Here he is speaking to himself, building up for himself. There's no mention of others, no mention of sharing his wealth, no mention of taking care of others, no mention of family, no mention of children. His whole life is curved in on itself. It's all about himself. He has made himself an idol, a kind of God. And I think it's a scene that we know well. We know it from literature and from culture. We know that Scrooge character who has built up all kinds of wealth for himself only to live on a kind of island. You very likely know people who have built up wealth for themselves and now they're alone and they try to delude themselves that their wealth, their big house or whatever it is will make them happy. But we want to be very careful here and not just think of this as a condemnation of rich people because it's not just a rich person problem. Jesus' point is that all kinds of greed are problematic because all kinds of greed feed into our inwardly curved hearts. There's no end to worldly things that will feed into our, our idolatry. We might find that we put our hope not in the money we have, but in the power or influence we have. We might live above all else for the praise we receive from others. We might tell our souls to relax because of our educational status, 
because of our employment status, because of what we have accomplished in our life. It might be the feeling of security we get from all the energy we put into being healthy. It's hard to know exactly what precisely our sinful hearts will cling to, but unquestionably, our hearts will look for ways to exalt ourselves. Our hearts are like factories of idols. They will constantly look for ways to love, fear, and trust something other than the Lord who made us. One way to think about this is that when we have made ourselves idols, we live as practical atheists. We live without consideration of God. Whether or not you say that you believe in God is immaterial if you live as if there is no God. Practical atheism lives as if God's existence is irrelevant to your life. We're tempted to replace God as the central understanding of our lives with the things of this world. It's a lack of that biblical phrase, the fear of God. And so in the parable, the rich fool, more than anything else, is a picture of a practical atheist. He lives as if God is irrelevant. He believes that he controls his own future. He has all the security he needs. He can disregard all things because he has an abundance of wealth. He's living without the fear of God. And most people we meet in our day-to-day -day lives are going to be practical atheists. How many people do we meet who say they have made one decision or another because that's what God's word has directed them to do? How many people do we meet who live and make decisions knowing that they're going to die and spend eternity somewhere. Very few people are going to think like that. At Bible study a couple weeks ago, we had kind of a brief discussion about near-death experiences. And so near-death experiences can be kind of all over the place, and it's hard to make any kind of blanket generalization about what people see and feel in those moments. But as we talked, it was clear that almost universally, People who have those experiences walk away knowing that they cannot live any longer as practical atheists. They come away realizing that there's a greater organizing principle to their life than living just for themselves. There will be a day when all of us will pass from this life into the next. We don't know what that day will be. The rich man in the parable, as we see, he had no idea that his life was going to be demanded of him. And the rich man in the parable in that night had nothing to point to except what he had stored up in his big barns. He was rich in things, but poor in the things of God. And when he died, those barns full of grain made absolutely no difference. Intuitively, we all know that this is true. We know that we can't take our material wealth into eternity. We know that our savings account matters not to God. And the parable is challenging us then to always be examining our hearts, to ask ourselves, where is our hope? What are we going to take in the life to come? The answer to that question then is found in the final verse of the parable. Those who store up for themselves are going to be in trouble, but those who are rich toward God will be rich in the life to come. But where do those riches come from? How are we rich toward God? Well, St. Paul answers that question for us in our readings from Colossians. He writes, So if you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. 
For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. St. Paul says that your confidence is in Christ himself. He says Christ is our life, and that our lives are hidden in him. And notice how that cuts against all idolatry. Our lives are found in Christ. They're not found in what we do. Our lives are not found and defined by what we store up. They're not defined in the esteem we have in this world. Our lives are truly found in Jesus Christ alone. Jesus Christ is the hope that you have to be rich toward God. Because Jesus Christ has lived that sinless life for you, and he died to take the consequences of sin for you. He overcame death and was raised on the third day to give you victory over sin and death. And so Christ alone is where our hope is found. Christ alone makes us rich towards God. And so we're called, as St. Paul says, to put to death whatever is earthly in us. And that doesn't mean retreat from the world. Instead, he means there is no reason for us to put our hope in the things of this world because those things will not save you. Think about how freeing and liberating that is. You don't have to store up in great barns to live a good and meaningful life. You don't have to be someone great by worldly standards to have the promise of a joyful eternity. All you need is Christ. All you need is Christ, and Christ is a free gift for you. When you put your trust in him, and you let all else fall where it may, then, and only then, are you rich towards God. Amen.
Together, let us stand as we confess our faith using the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, Creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father. pray for the whole church of God in Christ Jesus and for all people according to their needs. <clears throat> all is vanity, O Lord, without the grace of your word and spirit. Guard our hearts against pride and arrogance and a life rich in things, but poor in spirit. Grant to us wise hearts that we may love rightly all that you have made and use them all for your purpose and for your glory. Lord, in your mercy. Guard your church, O Lord, the people of your own possession, and give to her honorable and noble servants for the office of ministry, and gracious and devoted men and women commissioned for the teaching and for works of charity within your church. Make us rich in the treasure of your grace that will never disappoint us, that we may give generously toward those in need. Lord, in your mercy. Your Grant that in our lives together we might show the love of Christ to one another. Give all husbands and wives fidelity to their vows. Help all parents teach their children to know and love the Lord. And guide all single adults that they might find fulfillment in their service to others. Lord, in your mercy. O Lord, kingdoms rise and fall and leaders are raised up and brought low by your will. Grant our nation and its leaders, especially our President Joseph and our Governor Richard Michael, humility before you, that we might recognize the vanity of all our plans, and so be ready to rejoice and give thanks for every good gift in these days. Lord, in your mercy. Be near to all those who face any trouble, tribulation, or hardship, especially Anita, Ray, Amanda, Mike, Marilyn, Rose, Tony, Carolyn, for those who are undergoing testing this week, and for friends of Kent Williams. Sustain them in the truth that their lives are even now hidden with Christ in God, and that when he appears, they will also appear with him in glory. Give them compassionate and skillful doctors and nurses, that suffering might be alleviated, and that minds and bodies be returned to health. Lord, in your mercy. Lord God, you have seated your Christ at your right hand and surrounded him with all of those that he has led out of this great tribulation. We thank you for the peace and rest you have given them in him, and we pray that you would one day deliver us by his hand into the paradise he has won for us. Lord, in your mercy. All of these things and whatever else you know that we need, we ask that you grant, dear Father, for the sake of your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. And now the peace of the Lord be with you always.
us pray. Blessed are you, O Lord our God, maker of all things. Through your goodness you have blessed us with these gifts. With them we offer ourselves to your service and dedicate our lives to the care and redemption of all that you have made for the sake of him who gave himself for us, Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Now gathered into one by the Holy Spirit, let us pray as our Lord taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not to temptation but deliver us from evil for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever amen and almighty god father son and holy spirit bless you now and forever amen
peace. Serve the Lord.